Good evening, Seattle, Little Saigon, Seattle, other cities and other states, maybe other states of consciousness. It is November the 5th, 2019. Remember, remember the 5th of November. The gunpowder, treason, and plot. I can think of no reason. The gunpowder, treason. Should ever be forgot. Yep, it is November the 5th, 2019, and that is uh, some lines from that silly-ass poem from that fucking movie, V for Vendetta, and I say that fucking movie because when it came out in 2006, I kind of thought at the time, at the time, I thought it was kind of a woke film, like it was kind of lit. In retrospect, I think that movie was a big fucking psyop like so many other forms of entertainment, really designed to condition us towards certain behaviors and, frankly, certain ways of seeing the world. Um, keep in mind, one of the main heroic characters <clears throat> in that movie is essentially some kind of transsexual. And, and, that, and that applies to the main character. Like, I don't really know. It's kind of ambiguous throughout V from Vendetta. Is V female? Is V male? Does it fucking matter? I guess it's implied that V is a male, but I don't know. And then there's the whole side story about the woman doing the diary on toilet paper, the lesbian. And the whole basic message was at the time that society, you know, one day will crack down on lesbians and transsexuals and gay men, and something horrific will take place, and a hero shall arise from the toxic waste dump, and that hero will be transforgamoninational, some type of trans-dissected dissexual, and the Wachowski brothers, um, yeah, are going to give you a mind fuck. Whether it's V for Vendetta or the fucking Matrix movies, I kind of think the Wachowski brothers are part of the are are in on it, so to speak. Their their film oeuvre, if you dig deeply enough, really just seems like a general role playing, um, summer stock type training event or seminar for people that want to be paid protesters. So essentially. You want to go into the paid protester business, you get yourself a Guy Fox mask, because, really, the, the mythology around Guy Fox is so fucking straightforward. That's sarcasm. Guy Fox wanted to blow up Parliament because Guy Fox was basically a Catholic. As I understand it, Guy Fox was a fan of the fucking Vatican. 
So if you're any type of person that has any respect for English common law and any fucking understanding of what the Inquisition was, which, oh, by the way, was very much a fully funded Holy Roman Empire, a.k.a. Spanish operation. The Inquisition. And the Inquisition was fucking terrible. It was kind of like the Patriot Act post 9-11 bullshit of their day and age. It was really fucking terrible. And a lot of people were tortured and killed. Guy Fox, okay, was on the side of the torturers. He was on the side of the Pope. He was on the side of the Vatican. So if you have any understanding of English common law and that period of English history, you should be fucking sensitive to these pieces of information, is what I'm kind of saying here. The mythology around Guy Fawkes is very much a kind of, you know, how can I phrase this? Color revolution. In fact, it might have been one of the first, who knows? But the bottom line is this. That mythology is so distorted that now people say, well, Guy Fawkes mask, we have to associate this with anti-homophobia or whatever. Uh, no. Guy Fawkes was a fan of the Inquisition. Lots and lots of gay people were set on fire along with, you know, proposed witches, a.k.a. lesbians and midwives, set on fire. That was the wonderful freedom that Guy Fawkes was fighting for. Actually, Guy Fawkes, in that sense, was a globalist because the Vatican was always a globalist organization. Oh, I know that that's a scary thought for some of you fucking Catholics, but you need to meditate on that shit. And consider all the fucking bullshit that the latest fucking Pope has said. The Vatican is 100% globalist as fuck, and it always has been. Why? Because the Vatican is far more Roman than Christian. And there is nothing that the Roman eagle does not see that the Roman eagle does not want. And that is the Vatican, folks. So it is November the 5th, 2019. I just beat up on the Wachowski brothers. If you're such a fan of the fucking Matrix movies and the Matrix animes and the fucking V for Vendetta, Vendetta, Vendetta bullshit, so sorry for offending your little fucking champagne snowflake existence. And yet I'm not sorry. First topic, the all-volunteer army. So for those of you that don't know, and I think at some point in the future it's going to become irrelevant anyways, <clears throat> around about the early 1970s, the United States military transitioned from a system of conscription, or draft, which means, in the theory, everyone has to serve, in a sense, or at least serve if you're not restricted, or or unless you're a senator's son, right? Or, a, or, or something like that, as Creedence, 
Creedence Clearwater Revival would tell us, unless you're a senator's son, you're going to get fucked. You're going to go to Vietnam. You're going to kill the yellow man. You're going to work in the Air Force, making sure you load up those fucking airplanes with defoliant, a.k.a. Agent Orange. Many years later, you're going to get fucking cancer. Probably testicular cancer. For freedom. For America. So that was being drafted into Vietnam. After Vietnam, they decided they wanted to switch to a volunteer service. So essentially, there's still selective service in the sense that there's still a kind of draft, okay, that exists. If there's a national emergency, like, for example, if Goldman Sachs doesn't get a loan from the Federal Reserve sometime in the next six months, it will be a, na a national fucking emergency. That's what they will tell us in the op-ed in the New York Times. And that's whoever the Goldman Sachs CEO or president is at the time. I know it's not Lloyd Blankfein any longer. That fucking rotten turd piece of shit, right? He's no longer in charge over there. But whoever is in charge is likely a total piece of shit. So other than a national emergency, a.k.a. banks not getting their, their, their fucking extortion money, yeah, we have a volunteer service. But, but you need to think about this, folks, because this is something to meditate on, too. It is voluntary, in a sense, up to a point. What it is technically is the only voluntary legal form of indentured servitude, a.k.a. slavery, which means that legally you become property of the United States of America when you fucking sign on the dotted line. That's another thing people don't think about. Yeah, yeah, it's voluntary to sign the legal slavery contract. But once you've signed it, if they want to give you an injection, if they want to test some new weapon and use you as a guinea pig, if they want to have you standing on an aircraft carrier a few miles off the coast of Fukushima in March of 2011, so you and your other naval brothers and sisters can die of cancer and radiation poisoning... They can do that, too. There is really no limit. And people would think, well, Dan, isn't that a thing of the past? Well, not really. It's not, it's not a thing of the past. If they want to use you as a guinea pig in the service, they can do it. Back in the late 90s, I got two out of three necessary shots or anthrax from the military. These were not shots I could opt out of. Now, of course, they did the little propaganda campaign with the, you know, brigade combat team medical officer telling everybody it's it's for your own safety. The terrorists are going to attack. Wow, this was 1998, folks. And everybody needs their fucking anthrax shot. Now, when I say I got two out of three, that's what I mean. They said you really need to get the, all three, all three of the shots. And number three happened after I resigned my commission, like after I decided to leave the service. Back about that time, I almost didn't get to leave. Let's talk more about voluntary. If you don't know what stop loss is, it's important to understand this before you sign on the fucking dotted line. There are circumstances under which if you signed up for four years and you got your magical bonus money, your 50 grand, but you only signed up for four years or five years or whatever, 
there are circumstances under which they can say, you know what, we said four years, but there's this national emergency of the banks needing to control the oil in the Persian Gulf, and we need you to stay in a few more years and kill a few more people so we can ship a few more barrels. That's called stop loss. And stop loss was hitting the service in the late 90s because of the bullshit in Yugoslavia. Or I should say, the nation that should have never existed and no longer exists. The most elegant proof of why PhDs do not make a person intelligent or wise. You know, the great professors of, of Paris in 1919, the great brilliant fucking educated fucking elites of the of the world invented Yugoslavia side topic right so once you sign on the dotted line you cease to be a volunteer and you are now a slave and yeah it's true there are lots of ways of weaseling out you can get pregnant that that still works i think getting pregnant if you're a woman you can get pregnant and that's a way of getting out you, can, you can't really claim, you know, homosexuality any longer. And boy, I think that was probably an interesting by design form of bullshit. But uh, yeah, you can't do that. But, you know, there are still ways in which you can get out. I mean, basically, if you wanted to, you could just go do a bunch of drugs and fail a drug test. That's still a way of getting kicked out. You know, there are ways of getting kicked out. But the bottom line is this. If they want you in, if they want to keep you in the service... They have ways of bracketing you and keeping you in. That's number one. Number two, the kinds of skills. They always tell you things like, these are the skills employers want. Really? I mean, some of the skills, yeah. Like, for example, if you go into the services and you learn a technical skill, yeah, that, that's going to be helpful maybe. But if your main skill that you learned in the service was how to kill people, which is frankly the main goal of the fucking military, yeah, a lot of employers actually don't really love hiring trained killers. They don't like managing the quote-unquote medical costs. Oh yeah, the medical costs, which include costs of, you know, things like mental health counseling, stuff like that. Dealing with PTSD. So a lot of that is bullshit. I found that out when I left the service in 99. A lot of that crap about employers wanting to hire military people, that's a load of bullshit. If someone told you this, that you're going to somehow have an easier time getting a job because you spent three or four years, you know, learning a necessary skill like laying a minefield or setting up a range fan or shooting a rifle from a mile away and blowing someone's brains out. If you think those skills are going to help you in a normal fucking job when you get out, you need to wake the fuck up. Hopefully you can heal from that shit when you get out so you can take on a normal life. Hopefully you can find redemption. But if you're asking me, does the trade of killing translate to much of anything else other than the trade of killing? No. And it's worse than that because the most successful killers tend to be the spokespeople when they get out of the service. So they'll come back and say, oh, killing was so awesome. It was so special. I feel so amazing that I participated in the murder schemes to make sure that that oil kept flowing so our economy can keep growing at sub 3% GDP, which is mostly bullshit anyways. Yeah, those are the great hero heroic tales of the U.S. military. We are fighting and dying and getting P PTSD and taking out the enemies, which means men, women, and children also, so that we can maintain a sub 3% GDP growth.
so that we can maintain the petrodollar. Wow, that's a lot of heroism in action, isn't it? But I got an idea for you all folks on this topic before we move to the next topic, which is probably related. Imagine if the United States military was 100% volunteer all the time, which means that it wasn't just voluntary to sign the, the slavery contract, but literally at any point you could just opt out, like any fucking job should be. Any job should be like that, okay? If you don't know that I'm an anarchist, I'm an anarchist, which means I don't believe in slavery. If you believe in slavery schemes, uh, that's your special fetish. I don't want to be involved. Um, the military is a slavery scheme. But imagine if instead of being a fetishistic, socialistic, communist, death cult slavery scheme, the military was actually about defending the United States of America, A, and B, it was voluntary at all times. Let's say voluntary up to the point of mission. And mission being, you know, you're on a mission, you've heard the operations order, and you're, you're saying you're going to participate. I'm willing to say, you know what, at that point, you've decided to participate, you've got to play in the big game. But imagine if up until the point of receiving the operations order, um, you had the choice to fucking get the fuck out. Which means you show up in country in a place like Iraq, a place like Afghanistan... You start seeing officers handing out bricks of $100 bills to people who are basically transporting and growing opium, and, and you know, a.k.a. heroin, a.k.a. the heroin epidemic. And you decide that this is bullshit. It's not about freedom. It's not about liberty. It's about heroin and murder and death and oil and a lot of other kinds of crap and, and weird globalist agendas that have nothing to do with the Bill of Rights nothing to do with freedom, nothing. Imagine if at that point in time, you could just say, you know what, fuck this, I'm going home. Now you could say, well, Dan, that means we would lose these wars. Like basically the people would go to Afghanistan, they'd realize it's bullshit and they would all just fucking go home. All the soldiers would go home. Yeah, that might in fact happen for a fucking bullshit war that has no fucking purpose whatsoever. If we were truly a volunteer service, people might show up and say, this is bullshit. I'm not helping that fucking opium farmer get my cousin or my niece or my sister or my dad hooked on that fucking crap. Why the fuck, what the fuck does heroin production in Afghanistan have to do with defending the United States of America? Why are we defending these opium fields? And then at that moment, you could say, fuck this, I'm going home. I'll tell you something. A lot of really nasty, terrible shit throughout American history probably wouldn't have happened if people could have, right up until the moment of going on a mission, could say, fuck this bullshit, fuck this war, I'm not participating. And at any time during that war, they could say it. You know, as long as they're not on a mission, right? That'll be the rule. We'll bracket off the mission. But if they're not on a mission and they want to say, fuck this, let them say, fuck this. Why would you want them? Here's another little interesting fact that people don't think about when they think about war. Why the fuck would you want people on your side that don't want to be there? Why would you want anybody in your platoon that might shoot you in the back? Yeah, that's a thing that happened in Vietnam. Army lieutenants were fragged. They were killed by their soldiers. That wasn't a onesie-twosie thing. That happened a lot more than you might fucking realize. 
And and all this shit gets covered up, folks. It's all about the the fucking candy corn dream of America. But the truth is, you just dig a little deeper, you'll see it. Imagine if the United States military, every fucking branch, was so fucking volunteer that at any moment, even during a fucking war, if people thought it was bullshit, people could just go home. A lot of American soldiers showed up to the Western Front in 1917 and 1918. And these American soldiers had a very common refrain, this war is bullshit. We're told the Germans, the Huns, are these evil fuckers, but frankly, <laughs> the French murder generals aren't that much better. So yeah, that's my idea of the all-volunteer military. I don't mean that we should just have voluntary do-you-want-to-go-into-the-military. I think it should be voluntary every fucking second except for on mission. If you commit to a mission to go out with a bunch of soldiers, yeah, you should probably keep your fucking word because every mission has integrity. And part of that integrity is commitment. Okay? But... Why the fuck, as stated, would you want anybody on your team that doesn't want to be there? I can tell you, as someone who served in the military, the worst fucking person to have in your fucking platoon is somebody that does not want to be there. Okay? I'd rather have a 50% strength platoon of people who want to fucking do that job than a 100% strength platoon of douchebags. But again, currently, the American theory of military is based upon the douchebag theory which means lots of douchebags equal one quality soldier. I'm going to let you guys know a little secret. Lots of douchebags in technology does not equal Heinz Guderian. It does not equal the optimal fucking so soldier. You don't get Sergeant York um, by taking a bunch of douchebags and putting them, putting them in basic training and giving them some technology. In fact, you might create the opposite, okay? You might create somebody so dependent on technology that if the technology doesn't work, and oh boy, that's never happened in war, sarcasm. If the technology stops working, these people won't know how to do land navigation. They won't know how to use a fucking lensatic compass. They won't know how to shoot an azimuth or plot a course on a map. And all of those things are necessary skills if you're going to lead a mission in combat in the real fucking world. Next topic. I discussed a lot in yesterday's podcast about the Milgram experiment. I'm going to revisit some dimensions of that today. You know, in a way, obviously, the little discussion about the volunteer army is sort of related. But here's the thing. Um, I hadn't really thought too deeply on this until the last few weeks and months. Uh, this general question of who are we as people? You know, are we these Gentile, meandering, fucking docile, fucking cow-like, Buddhist, warm, fuzzy, mammalian, fucking hyper-critters? Or are we what is self-evident in the world of duck typing, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, looks like a duck, it's probably a fucking duck. We are the number one predator on planet Earth. We're not number two, unless you count bacteria. And I'm of the opinion that that's a question mark. 
often people won't count bacteria because they're single-celled organisms, so they don't get to count. But actually, I kind of think you got you got to count bacteria. I really do. But if you don't count the fucking bacteria, human beings currently are the number one killer on planet Earth. We kill everything. We burn everything. We can eat everything. And that's a that's a an important idea to engage with because it tells us about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't play pretend. We shouldn't go through this process of pretending that if we only embrace some sort of quasi, you know, Rousseau-like green revolution of the natural natural human being, we won't destroy the world. But that's kind of crap. Okay? That's that's denial bullshit. That's playing pretend land. That is that is a lion pretending to be a gazelle. And folks, no matter how much you want to be a fucking gazelle, you have way more in common with the fucking lion. I don't know if a human would ever even want to turn a gazelle into a pet. But sure as shit, we love our cats as pets. You ever think about that fucking bullshit? And yeah, it's partly because they help us with rodents. Historically, I think the cat was a natural ally, just like the dog, for different reasons. The dog was a natural ally for the hunter-gatherer human, because that fucking super nose was helpful as fuck. We worked together as teams. That's how we got together. The dog and the man looking for food. The cat was more like what happened after civilization. We started growing food. We started storing lots of food. And all that stored food attracted a lot of fucking rats. Anyways, that is also, that's really, this little side topic about dogs and cats is not the, the core point of this topic. What if um, ritualistic disconnected murder, what if the amoral ritualistic bullshit um, was part of Homo sapiens' M.O.? almost from the beginning. Now, I touched a little bit of this last night when I talked about mechanical distance. And to restate, mechanical distance is the idea that if you create enough mechanical separation between a human being and the consequences of their action, so they do an action, but they don't have to participate in the consequences in any direct way, the greater that distance, the easier it is for the person to do the thing. So, it is easier, probably, according to this theory, to pull the trigger on a sniper rifle than it is to stab somebody with a knife. And it's kind of funny, in the movie The Professional, um, which came out in the 90s, that point is actually emphasized. That your first weapon, if you're going to become an assassin, the first weapon you learn to use is a rifle, because that is the easiest weapon. The most difficult weapon, the one that will be the most challenging, is any weapon that brings you up close, personal. You know, you might get some blood on you. But even the knife, even the shiv, is an abstraction. The very first time a homo sapien picked up a rock and threw it at an animal, that homo sapien was separating himself from the consequence, okay? Not completely, but in a way that was kind of psychologically powerful, okay? Human beings, if we actually had to tear into flesh the way that every other predator basically has to, 
okay? If we had to hunt and kill the way a lion does, I seriously doubt we would be so fucking cavalier about the destruction we leave behind. But we have so abstracted murder that, in, in a sense, almost from the beginning, the truth was this. We were all serial killers. Right from the fucking beginning. We were all ritualistic serial killers right from the fucking beginning. Maybe we didn't, you know, predate on each other, although, although, if, although that's a whole nother topic. Because there's evidence, not just in terms of what, what the fuck happened to the Neanderthal, but there's evidence to show that we did predate on each other. We did attack and kill each other. We humans, when food got scarce, we had no fucking issue turning one, you know, our tribe against the other tribe, so to speak. It's funny because in the modern age, we look at the serial killer the ritualistic murderer, and we say to ourselves, this is a feature of modernity. This is something that went wrong. But what if the real truth is it kind of started going wrong right from the fucking beginning? When you disconnect murder or killing from any tactile, physical sensation, you are making it easier to kill. Think about cooking, for example. Cooking food totally disconnects us from the act. It, 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 a, number one, or A, it removes a great deal of risk. Okay, other creatures that go around eating raw flesh take a lot of fucking risks, like parasites and whatnot. When we started cooking our food, we started reducing risk of foodborne illness. And we started doing that shit, if you are to believe the anthropologists, more than 10 or 15 or 20,000 years ago. A long time ago, we started using fire. A long fucking time ago. You know, last night I alluded to the cave painting thing. But think about cave paintings. Cave paintings, in some ways, only fucking make sense if you've abstracted killing. I, you know, it's not just a question of do other creatures have the intelligence to do cave paintings. I'm not sure they would do something so fucking disrespectful. You see, this is the funny thing, and this is going to piss off a lot of people who study the ancient ones and think, oh my god, this is like Guy McPherson. If only we could go back to Homo sapien back in the day when, you know, he was so much better just hunting and gathering. Well, Guy McPherson's a bit flawed here. Because while it's true, some hunter-gatherer societies do plateau. For any number of reasons, they don't go past a certain level of technology all of these societies used technology. They used things like spears. They used things like knives. They used things like rocks and slings. Oh yeah, that's technology. They used things like spear throwers and even bow and arrow, okay? These low-level hunter-gatherers had a lot of fucking weapons tech, believe it or not. Humans <laughs> figured out how to make weapons very, very early on, and we started making lots of interesting weapons very quickly once we created quote-unquote civilization. In fact, our weapons development skills increased with our fucking stomachs. You know, the main theme of the Milgram, the Milgram Experiment podcast last night was the idea 
that you can so abstract killing that it becomes it doesn't even it's not even a thing people no longer care anyways next topic is is related and um i gotta move some stuff around here kind of off my game folks i won't lie to you not your fault if you're a listener my fucking fault but i'm kind of off my game i've had a couple days with respect to my spirituality and other issues that have been kind of in the weird gray zone of darkness and bullshit. I, I, I can't really say I'm deeply depressed. I'm just more shocked at my kind of existential confusion. I, I don't know that that makes any sense. If you're to ask me today, do I still believe in God? I would say yes and no. I believe in God, but kind of like Jonah... I've got some issues with God. And, and you know, Jonah's just one character from the Bible that had issues with God. If you want to know why it is, I'm still more or less probably on the path with respect to Christianity. It's because when you read the Bible, you learn things. You, you know, you just don't take the fucking opinions of some jackass that tells you, oh, it's one big cartoon. Maybe it is. But if it's a cartoon, it's, it's well written. There are many folks in the Bible who swear at God, who shake their fucking fists at God. The story of Job is actually an exception, oh, by the way. And it's probably, you know, more, how can I phrase this? The story of Job often fits into the wisdom book, so it's more apocryphal, like it probably didn't happen. Or maybe it was meant to represent a lot of people that went through that kind of experience. But basically, it was a story that was made up. But the real stories in the histories, the histories of the actual chosen people, <laughs> lots of prophets, lots of kings, lots of chosen people shaking their fists at God throughout the whole fucking Bible. And this includes the New Testament, too. So, yeah. Anyways, next topic. Um, I was trying to think of this woman's name last night, and I didn't want to go do a Google search because, hey... I want to pretend that maybe I'm not also getting progressive dementia along with the rest of the adult population due to toxification. Yeah, I kind of think whatever's causing it, we're all getting poisoned. Separate topic, the poisoning. Whether it's the food, the air, or the water, I say all of the above or being poisoned, but this is a separate topic. I lived in Indianapolis for a while, and I would go on these walks, um, you know, around my neighborhood. My neighborhood was basically downtown, and since there's not much of a downtown um, to Indianapolis, you know, it's really not required for me to say much more. I lived near the Riley Towers. That's all you really need to know about that for purposes of creditors tracking me down and trying to bill me. Yeah, I don't give a fuck about them. If you don't know this already, I don't give a shit at this point about any single debt that I owe to a bank or a credit card company. I've mentioned this before. This is also not the topic, but I don't give a shit. If somebody wants to come up to me and say, Dan, we're going to take everything you own, I would have to ask exactly what is that. Okay, and what is it supposed to be? If you have... You know, I guess I'm going to go off on a tangent here. If you have Christine Lagarde, who was formerly the head of the IMF and is now head of the ECB, basically saying 
people should want to have a job and not worry about savings. What she's really saying is, you should be happy being a slave. Don't worry about having any kind of fucking accrued wealth. And in all likelihood, all that stuff in the future, you're, gonna, you're not going to own anything. You're just going to rent it. Kind of like your fucking home, folks. Because even if you say you own it, if you pay a property tax, and if you stop paying that tax, the government can take your home. I hate to break it to you, but you don't really own your home. So sorry nobody fucking told you that. Anyways, back to Indianapolis. I would walk around Indianapolis, and there's this one place on, I think it was Massachusetts Avenue, where some, you know, I don't know, avant-garde street artist slash person getting funding from some Democrat senator who figured they knew art had funded some jackass to put a weird-ass button at a crosswalk. And I'm not going to go into what it said, but it kind of made me think about this whole idea of a puzzle box America. Because like I said, folks, the Milgram experiment is interesting, both for what it, what it discovered, but also what it sort of hit. I think it, not, not so much that, that, it hit, that it hit it or hid something, both in terms of discovery, but also in terms, I think, of issues that are not discussed or, or, or frankly, extensions or directions. I don't know how to phrase this correctly. In the Milgram experiment, if you watch any of the videos of it, you'll notice that the teacher, the person who's the actual subject who pushes the button to electrocute the person who is the learner, the teacher can hear the screams. The teacher can hear the dude saying, oh, that was too much. Oh, you're going to kill me. Okay, And these fucking actors, I think, did a, probably did a pretty good job by 1960s standards. But in reality... Um, when it comes to people doing heinous shit, especially in the 20th and 21st century, a lot of really, really terrible bullshit occurs and gets executed by paper pushers, by bureaucrats, by people like Adolf Eichmann. I mean, what's funny about the Milgram experiment is supposedly Stanley Milgram wanted to understand how could Adolf Eichmann do these terrible things? Adolf Eichmann scheduled fucking trains, you dope. Adolf Eichmann pushed paper. Adolf Eichmann didn't kill 6 million Jews. He supported the logistics system that killed 6 million Jews. Which means that if he didn't want to see one Jew getting killed, if he didn't want to hear one fucking scream, if he didn't want to smell any of the burnt bodies, he didn't have to. That's how that works, folks. A little bit of denial plus that goes a long fucking way. And you can do some pretty terrible shit. So getting back to that weird crosswalk where there were the weird buttons, I thought about this. Like, imagine you had an art project that had a, a very sinister agenda. It's a very fucking sinister art project. And some dude basically puts up a sign or some type of a panel on a wall in downtown Seattle, not unlike the scumbag artist in, in Indianapolis that put the weird buttons on the fucking crosswalk. Now, on the scumbag panel that's all lit up 24 hours a day, there's a button that says, Happy. And there's a button that says, Sad. Now, the button that says, Happy, if you push that button, there is a 50-50 chance you'll get 20 bucks out of the machine. Let's say no, it's a 1 in 100 chance. 
there's a one in 100 chance that that machine will deliver you $20, let's say. That's part of the art project. Just assume the guy has a stack of 20s. Let's say the odds are one in 100, maybe one in 1,000, something like that, but you'll get a 20. If you push the button that's labeled happy, you have a one in 100 chance of getting a $20 bill. So it's not a sure thing, but there's a chance, okay? If you push the button that says sad, you get nothing, um, there are no results, period. You just push the sad button. Behind the scenes, inside of the system, which means outside the puzzle box we just created for the average Seattle light, oh so happy, just like the cancer commercial says, if you're battling cancer, you only surround yourself with positive people. Why the fuck you would even be in a hospital in that situation boggles the fucking mind. Given that some of the most negative scumbag sociopaths I ever met in my whole fucking life worked at fucking hospitals. Yeah, surround yourself with positive fucking sociopaths. You'll do fine with a fucking cancer. So here's your Seattle light. At the fucking panel, one button says happy, one says sad. Happy button might give you 20 bucks. Sad button gives you nothing. I think a lot of people will push happy. In fact, I think pretty much everybody will. I would be willing to wager that no one pushes sad, or almost no one. Maybe a few crazy freaks. Maybe a few weirdos. But once the homeless people realize that it's a one in a hundred chance, they'll fucking get their friends, hey buddy, go up to the fucking thing and push that button and keep pushing it. And get your fucking 20. So here's the deal. What if on the other side of this demented art project, there is a serial killer? And the serial killer has the following rule. Every time somebody presses the button that's labeled happy, the serial killer adds a victim to his list of people he's going to kill. Every time someone presses the button sad, the serial killer removes somebody from the list. Temple Grandin is famous for reimagining, re-engineering the way that um, cattle yards for cattle were designed so that cattle would not spook. So that cattle in cattle yards and cattle on their way to the slaughterhouse and cattle in the fucking chute on their way to the guy with the fucking pneumatic hammer, the, the pneumatic piston gun, shooting the piston into the brain, killing the cow. Yeah, she redesigned this so the cows didn't get stressed out. And, and again, folks, I'm not saying I want stressed out cows to be slaughtered. I do not. Actually, what Temple Grandin did is very much in the spirit of how human beings kill. Going back to the previous topic, right from the beginning, we humans loved to abstract out all the blood and the gore. Whether it was the cooking of the food or the drawing of the happy spiritual creature, sure, we went and killed some creatures, but hey, they went up to heaven to the great buffalo to hang out with the giant woolly mammoth in the fucking sky. Guy McPherson, you fucking freak. Oh, if only we could go back to the, the noble hunter-gatherer. Yeah, we could. 
we could. And, and, and yet, I even think at that scale of technology, given how fucked up we are most of the time, we probably still could have fucking, yeah, done a lot of fucking damage. I don't want to get into how Native Americans reshaped the North American continent from an ecological perspective over the last 20,000 years, but the fact is, even without nuclear weapons, even without bulldozers, even without a whole bunch of other shit, we're just like the fucking beaver. Put us in any fucking ecosystem long enough and we will reshape it, even with really low-tech fucking shit. Temple Grandin is in this tradition. She is not the exception to the rule. She isn't. Okay, that's one of the parts of the little HBO documentary I remember watching that I thought was bullshit, and it really turns out to be bullshit. The history of human beings killing animals and killing each other is a history of denial, anger, and bargaining. It is a history of delusion, it is a history of gaslighting, and it's a history of puzzle boxes. It's a history of trying to separate people so much from the act of killing that they really don't know that they killed anybody until after they did it. Now, of course, in ancient times, or times before the modern age, it was difficult to totally abstract it out. Now, you could have a button that's labeled happy and a button labeled sad. And the people that press the happy button, they, go, they basically send drones on missions and execute prisoners. And the people that push the sad button, maybe they're actually, I don't know, instead of taking and giving money to banks from the Federal Reserve, maybe they're putting giant deposits in most of the Americans who are desperately fucking poor. I don't know, folks. I think money printing is bullshit. But if you're going to print money for the richest scumbags that ever lived, you better print it for everybody. That's kind of my basic policy. And if you think printing money for everybody is stupid, then don't do it at all. Fucktard. Okay, if, if printing money is dumb for everyone, it's dumb for some people. It's dumb for everybody, period. It's not, you don't get any special, I'm special, my name's Bill Blaine, and I'm going to write a fucking rationalization banker article about how people with good credit are the ones that get the credit. No, people with good credit are the people who, I think, turn out to be the real fucking sociopaths. I had triple seven credit in 2015. I had stacks of fucking precious metals in my safe, ammo, 556, money and savings, and I was virtually debt-free almost, except for my student loans. I was never in a more misanthropic state in my entire fucking life, never filled with more revulsion towards my fellow human being, never more desirous that a giant fucking wave of fire come along and wipe us all out when I had the highest fucking credit score of my whole fucking life. So no, I don't give a fuck about credit scores, if you can tell. I really don't. I also don't give a fuck about bullshit optimism. I think all of that shit is crap, okay? The glass is not half full, the glass is not half empty. The glass is fucking broken. And the sooner you wake up to that shit, the sooner it'll be easier on you. Happy button, sad button. You could kill a lot of people with those buttons. You wouldn't have to kill anybody. All you'd have to do is set up those buttons. All kinds of fucking stupid-ass people push the fucking happy button. They will never ask themselves what it's connected to. They're worse than the fucking monkeys who have the wire hooked up to their fucking brain so every time they push the button, they get an erection and, you know, 
they 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 have an orgasm. Yeah, the fucking crazy ass monkeys will push that button until they have a fucking heart attack. And the average douchebag Seattleite living in a la la land nightmarish kind of dreamland bullshit, the average war party King County person will push that fucking happy button until everybody on planet Earth is dead. That is the reality of the Milgram experiment, folks. If you want people to truly do heinous shit, all you have to do is abstract out the killing, okay? Abstract out the blood and the gore and the noise. Make it so the person never has to feel or sense anything or even have the remotest conception that anything bad will happen. I promise you, in that scenario of ignorance is bliss, people will push that fucking happy button all day long and they will never ask what's behind the panel. What's behind the artist? What's behind this crazy-ass public art? They won't give a fuck because they'll be too happy with the 20 bucks they get every once in a while. And almost no one will push the sad button, which means the lists of fucking victims on that serial killer list will pile up. Of course, one person probably couldn't kill 20 billion people, but that, that number would probably exceed the number of people on planet Earth. Okay, it, so many would people would push that fucking button that you'd basically there'd be no conceivable way that anybody could kill that many people in any lifetime or a thousand lifetimes. Temple Grandin was not the exception. We live in a Temple Grandin America. We live in a Temple Grandin society. All, not all, but many of the horrible consequences of the stupid shit we do. These, these things get abstracted from us. They get separated from us. It's like the fucking garbage. Think about it this way. One of the things I believe, if you're going to be a camper, let's say you like to go camping and hiking. Let's say you enjoy going up into the mountains. One of the good basic principles of camping and hiking is leave no trace. Leave no trace means don't leave garbage behind. It also means don't dump shit in the water, don't poison the water, don't do what my dad used to do. Pour diesel out on the bare ground. Leave no trace. Put that into the column of don't shit where you eat. Leave no trace. And yet, when we get back from the camping trip, when we get back from being out in the woods, we take our garbage and we have a garbage that garbage can labeled recycling. We have a garbage can labeled food waste. We have one labeled garbage, which means just garbage. And most of you probably never asked the question, do those garbage cans actually get treated the way you think they do? Does the recycling actually get recycled? Most of you just assume the shit works. You could change the way you live. You could reduce your waste. You could literally live at home the way you live in the woods. You could leave no trace. You could choose to buy in bulk. You could choose to cook at home versus going out for takeout. You could make deliberate fucking choices that would reduce the amount of shit you leave behind, which also means the amount of shit that damages the environment. And I'm sorry, I'm not talking about global warming here. I'm talking about good old-fashioned toxic shit getting into the water table, getting into the fucking ocean. Good old-fashioned plastic and toxic crap. 
We abstract out our bullshit, people. We abstract out all of the terrible shit we do. Not just the murder, but the slavery and the torture. We abstract it to such a degree that we could be participants in some unknowing way in these heinous acts and never be aware of it. Never. We would never be aware of it. It's like the doctor I told you about last night that treats the drone, the, the drone pilot guy. He, you know, he doesn't know that he's keeping a guy who might be a war criminal at work. He has no fucking clue. And according to society, even if he did know, that guy's just defending freedom. When he sends that Hellfire missile to that wedding party, he's just defending liberty. When he sends that Hellfire missile to that car going down that busy city street, where likely lots of people who are bystanders will get killed because, hey, that's how Hellfire missiles work. He's just defending America. We love abstracting our bullshit, folks. We love going to pretend land. And also, add that to the list of reasons why Uncle Dan has given himself a great rationalization for being a drunk-ass scumbag. Because guess what? That's America now. We all, all we have to do is come up with some fucked up rationalization and we can do whatever we want. No morals, no principles, no nothing. What, you know, what does Donald Trump say? We're going to keep the oil. I will say this. There's a lot of honesty in that fucking criminal. Okay? I, I don't like him any more than I liked Obama. But I'll tell you this. I got a lot of respect for a fucking pirate that will admit to his or her piracy. I got a lot of respect for a pirate captain that doesn't pretend we're going around the world helping people. We're not. We're pirates. And in Temple Grand in America, I promise you folks, most of you would push that fucking happy button until the entire planet was, was set on fire. Next topic, related to something that happened last night. I kind of, I do these podcasts, as you may or may not know, still mostly improvisational style. I, yeah, I have a, a list of topics I'll work off of. But let's be blunt about that, too. It's just a list of topics. It's a guideline. A lot of room for error. Last night, when I was talking about um, editing history, you know, when we were talking about books, I said, hey, you're a prepper. You're preparing for the worst. Why don't you go to a used bookstore and get a lot of old-fashioned books that don't require electricity? I think it's good advice, folks. I, I don't know what the future brings. I don't know if it's going to be the trucker apocalypse of, of Mad Max and, and, a, and a grand search for gasoline. I don't know if it's going to be the nuclear apocalypse of the road. I don't know if it's going to be hyperstatism. I can tell you this. If they figure out a way to achieve something like free energy, I think it's going to be hyperstatism, which means the police state of America will go into full-on steroid mode. Cameras everywhere, little ejection systems, little systems for projecting lies, little fucking tubes containing knockout gas everywhere, little fucking air guns that shoot darts into you if you think, you think bad thinky thoughts. Yeah, if they somehow figure out free energy, I think it's hyperstatism, but whatever it is, whatever the future brings, I don't believe 
that you should put all of your Western civilization eggs in the Amazon Kindle bucket or any other electronic internet bucket. If you want to protect pieces of your civilization, Western or otherwise, I suggest you buy some real books, some of those vacuum bags, and store them. Because you don't have to burn books if you stop making them. I went to the UW bookstore about a year ago. I asked the guy there, hey, where's this book? And he said, dude, you can't buy this book here any longer. They don't even print it. You have to have an electronic reading device. Fuck off, I'm a hippie. And as stated last night, it can be worse. They might just go through and start editing this shit, changing the names of the books, maybe even redefining authorship. Folks, once you go down this dark and ugly road of statism and tyranny, there are virtually no limits to what tyrants will do. And if tyrants want to control what you think, fuck yeah, they'll edit what you think. They'll edit your fucking books away. Last night I spoke about Marshall Zhukov in the context of history that is told and history that is untold, but I didn't really complete my thought, and I need to apologize for that. If you do not know, Marshall Zhukov was a famous Russian general, Soviet general, during World War II. Um, Marshall Zhukov had some interesting quotes. Eisenhower once asked him, Marshall Zhukov, how did you move so quickly through Poland and Germany on your way to Berlin? How did you clear all those minefields? And he said, well, we use punishment brigades. We use people. And he said, oh, you use people with mine detectors. No, 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 Eisenhower. You're thinking like a, a fucking American. You're thinking like some motherfucker that really doesn't understand how bad shit can get you, stupid fuck. We use people, i.e., we march people in front of our divisions. And hey, if a person walked on a mine, that's good news. Mine is taken care of. And also prisoner. That may not be exactly how Marshal Zhukov said it to Eisenhower. But that's not far off the fucking mark. Marshal Zhukov was also a prisoner prior to his involvement in World War II. He was imprisoned as were all of the officers who weren't killed during the great officer purge of the Soviet military in the late 30s. He was imprisoned in the Gulag Archipelago. He was, he was um, exposed to torture. He underwent a lot of torture. You know they used to take people in those fucking prisons and they would wrap your arms and your legs around a log and then roll the log down these stone steps. And if you lived... Hey, that was just torture. If you didn't live, that's called an execution. And that's just daily fun for a guard in a prison camp. Just daily hijinks. Marshal Zhukov showed up as General Zhukov, mysteriously, as I stated yesterday, in, um, essentially, in late 1941, early 42. And he had all of his teeth bashed out. 
Um, and some of the people around him said, what happened to you? And as I stated last night, he said, well, I was on a long and dangerous mission. That was what he was allowed to say. If he told the truth, he would be dead. His family would be dead. Folks, I know you don't believe that societies can be run like this, but that is how the Soviet Union was run under Stalin. And unlike Hitler, Stalin didn't have a magical color chart. He would kill anybody, including his own family. So I don't know if it's better or worse than Hitler, honestly. But it sounds a lot scarier because, hey, you never know if you're the one on the chopping block tonight. It's not about, hey, are you Jewish? No. Stalin didn't give a shit about that. Although he might have been an anti-Semite, but that's a separate issue. Stalin killed every motherfucker he came across if he didn't like them. Or he threw them in fucking prison. After the war ended, the famous General Marshal Zhukov, and this is the, the key point I didn't talk about last night in reference to Fahrenheit 451 and the Milgram experiment and how you want to control what people can understand so they'll do any kind of heinous bullshit. Marshal Zhukov, during the Cold War, periodically appeared in history books and then disappeared, depending upon who was in power. If it was Khrushchev, guess what? Zhukov was de-emphasized because Zhukov and Khrushchev had a little bit of a fucking you know, issue between them. Specifically during World War II, Khrushchev was kind of a political operative and, and frankly, probably a douchebag. Okay, Khrushchev is funny because he gets described as this great Russian leader during the Soviet period, but in reality, he was just another fucking crony douchebag, really. Um, but yeah, Marshal Zhukov was in a book or not in a book. If it was Brezhnev in power during the late 60s, during the Brezhnev buildup, Zhukov and Tukashevsky were both rehabilitated. And what does rehabilitation mean? It means that somebody, whether they're alive or dead, is brought back into the history books. Or not. I gotta say something, folks. The reason why I'm talking about this, and I wish I had completed those thoughts last night, but I'm glad I'm doing it now. That shit is coming here, folks. That shit is coming to America. If you want to know why I say get some real fucking books, because real soon, this kind of shit is going to start happening. Okay, our books will get edited. Mark Twain will be edited. And who knows, maybe it will be Mary Twain. Instead of Edgar Allan Poe, maybe it will be Regina Allan Poe. After the truth comes out, they didn't really write those books. It was really a slave he kept in his basement named Regina. Next topic. This hour, and this might be the last topic, I think. Maybe next to last topic. This hour of the Little Saigon Report is brought to you by the Physician Services and Clinic of Dr. Grunkus LLC. Dr. Grunkus is my primary care physician. Dr. Grunkus is licensed in countries that no longer exist, which means he's cheap. Dr. Grunkus only services patients after midnight on Thursday, which really means Friday morning, doesn't it? Early as fuck, though. 
I've been seeing Dr. Grunkus for more than a year now. My health has really never been better. Dr. Grunkus recommends that when it comes to a person's health, they treat illness like an enemy, and they treat that person who is sick like a battlefield. If you go to see Dr. Grunkus with a tummy ache, if you go to see Dr. Grunkus because you got a sore throat, hooker, that's why I said hooker, if you're gonna see Dr. Grunkus because you've got some crabs or something else in your panty zone, he has many ways of dealing with these types of problems. He uses the chemicals and the residues. He uses the materials that gather by the wayside. He uses the, the greasiness and the disgustingness that is that layer of film that covers this wretched city of Seattle. Dr. Grunkus creates pastes and waxes. He creates ointments, he creates oils and jellies. And all of this, all of these services can be had for a very small co-payment. And when I say co-payment, no insurance company will ever pay a service from Dr. Grunkus. Dr. Grunkus went to medical school. In an, basically, he grew up on, a, in, on an island as part of an island nation. And he went to medical school at this island nation's medical school. But this island was really an island in a giant lake in the mouth of a sleeping volcano. So one day the very medical school and the very society that licensed Dr. Grunkus was swallowed by the volcano. And no insurance company is willing to provide payment for those services because it cannot be verified that he is a kind of doctor. I can tell you, if you care about your health, if you want to make sure that all of your internal vibrations are synchronized, if you're tired of melting, and when I say melting, I mean noticing every morning as you get older, parts of you are simply leaking out. As you get older, you'll notice the multicolored technicolor wonderland of your stool. You'll notice that there are pieces of viscera and tissue. Dr. Grunkus can help you with all of that. It's called melting syndrome. It happens to everybody over the age of 40. You just start melting. You lose stuff you don't want to lose, and then other stuff shows up you don't want to show up. All of this can be treated with the ancient oils and greases and pastes and ointments, with the ancient toxins and, 
and various treatments and talismans and salves that Dr. Grunkus keeps hidden in that alley in Little Saigon where you can go any midnight on Thursday and get your health checkup. You can feel better about yourself, you fuck. You can get your blood pressure checked by Dr. Grunkus's patented device for checking the fucking pressure of your blood, you fuck. Last topic. Some of you that listen to me might categorize yourselves as a minarchist, which means you want government, you just want a really small version of the crocodile. Because when I say crocodile, I mean government. So you're not opposed to the crocodile per se, you just want a small crocodile that arrests the rapists and the murderers and the thieves and the actual people that, you know, commit crimes that have victims, which means you really only want to arrest people who committed acts that have victims. Yeah, some of you want the tiny little crocodile. You're on the freedom train. You started out like so many of us, somewhere around Ronald Reaganville in 1983, and you were on that fucking train until that deep state douchebag Bush took over, and then you found yourself on George F. Will's small Republican libertarian wing, which turned out to be a neocon honeypot. And then sometime around the year 2000, or maybe after 9-11, you joined the Libertarian Party. And as a Libertarian, you know, you just want a small little crocodile. I get it. The whole concept of limited government. You'll have a constitution that will guarantee that government never gets too big. Except one fucking problem. And, and and here's the thing, folks. If you're one of these libertarians that beats up on Marxists who say, oh, we haven't really tried real communism, I'm going to use your own rationalization bullshit against you. We have tried as human beings in many incarnations, going back to the ancient fucking world, we have tried limited government. We have tried constitutions. We have tried building these ramshackles of legal IKEA furniture that, yeah, like IKEA furniture, kind of stays together for a couple years, and then about five minutes later, you're driving nails into it, and it becomes one of Torquemada's torture devices. A la Inquisition, right? I don't want to beat up on you too much, but you're going to say, oh, communist, you constantly tell me we've never really tried true communism. Well, folks, based upon the American experiment, whatever the fuck you want to say about trying limited government, we tried it. We had the Articles of Confederation for about five years. That was the most limited government this nation has ever had. Ever. Okay? It was the most limited. It was the closest to a libertarian wet dream the Articles of Confederation. All we needed were those and the Declaration of Independence, and we were cooking with gas. We did not need the Constitution. In fact, the Constitution was designed as a hack. 
It was designed as an exploit. In, in sort of computer science programming terms, it was designed to be buggy, folks. It was designed to fail. It was designed to guarantee we would end up with a giant crocodile. So, and if you're going to come back and say, well, we've never really tried it, Dan. We've never tried limited government. Shut the fuck up. You tiny crocodile fetishist, okay? You got off at the fucking libertarianville. I did too. I bought into that bullshit. We never tried it. We did try it. A couple of times. In various states and at various points in history, we had choices. Go right, go left. Go big, go small. Go empire, go republic. And we chose empire. We chose big. We chose, frankly, you know, from my perspective, any statism is communism. So we basically chose communism. And we created the ultimate communist fucking contract, the U.S. Constitution. You know, that basically committed everybody to levels of bullshit, except when it came to your fucking rights. Never forget what that famous fucking jurist said. The Constitution's not a suicide pact. With, and, and again, what that jurist meant was, is your Bill of Rights? Yeah. If the, if the government thinks that national security is at stake, you have no fucking rights. Oh, shit. Nobody told you that fucking shit, did, did they? You have no rights. What if, however, and this is for the limited government, small crocodile people, what if government is like training wheels, okay? It kind of is in a way. I mean, to me, the ideal quote-unquote government, the government of perfection, of utopia, would, if it actually worked, oh, by the way, which it, which it never can, but if it actually worked, it would be a lot like Eden, okay? Everything you want, everything you need provided and you don't even have to work because that's the ultimate evolution of the status fucking thing. We'll get to the point where the government provides everything we need and we all just live in happy, blissful fucking ignorance and drink the wine of the gods all fucking day. For some people, that sounds like utopia. For me, it almost pretty much sounds like dystopia. Like, for example, what if I said to you, I could send you back to your mother's womb? However, if I send you back to your mother's womb to live there in that beautiful time when you're so connected to the mother goddess, but you have to have all your consciousness and all your memories you have now, and you have to experience every moment of that gestation knowing what you know, I think that would be a living hell. I mean, it's good that we're not fully aware of every fucking cellular, cellular division. It's good that we weren't fully fucking aware of every fucking moment in the mother's womb. Yeah, maybe we have vague notions. It's good that the notions were fucking vague. There's a reason why a baby is born. There is a reason why a child grows up. And there's a reason why I'll tell you right now, the government, best case scenario, the crocodile in the best case scenario is training wheels. That's all it is. If you have self-governance and community, if you have people working together voluntarily to solve problems, you don't need fucking government. You never did. But there are people out there, and this is the thing, this is the argument, and some days I, I, I say to myself, on my wretched days, the days when I think most of the human race just wants to be slaves, on those wretched days of, of Dan's deepest darkness, I think a lot of people, they just want to be told what the fuck to do. 
In fact, I've come to realize this. I have met more people in my life who simply want to be told what the fuck to do than want to figure that shit out on their own. And it's funny because I didn't know if this podcast tonight would be at all connected, like if there would be a theme, but there kind of is a theme here, folks. Whether it's Marshall Zhukov appearing and disappearing in Soviet history books during the Cold War, whether it's the happy sad buttons, we're pushing the button that says happy kills people and pushing the button that says sad might save lives, okay? This is the deal, folks. If you have a moral compass, if you have any sense of discernment, and maybe it's not based upon Christian discernment, but maybe it's just the, the fact that you have a conscience, if you have a conscience at all, anything that you would even remotely call a soul, it is entirely plausible that if you came across that panel in downtown Seattle and you were at all curious in addition to this, that you might not just go push the happy button. In fact, you might ask a shitload of questions before you do. But if you don't have a soul, if you don't have a conscience, here's the thing, there's no amount of government, folks. For a society of amoral pricks, there is literally no amount of government that will ever keep people safe. If you raise generation upon generation of people that cannot disambiguate ethical choices without a senator or congressperson telling them what to do or some fucking 16-year-old autistic kid from Sweden, some little fucking witch hunter telling them what to do, if you are unable to make rational choices about your life and the lives of people you care about, without being told what thoughts to think, then maybe you do need government. Maybe you do, but the problem is no amount of government will fix that. Okay, no amount of cops, no amount of cameras will ever fix that. That society simply goes berserk. That society simply goes crazy. There is no way to replace moral compass with government. It never has worked, it never fucking will. The only thing you can do is get rid of people. Now, that you can do. Or you can so abuse them, um, so mutilate them with technology that they cease to be people. They really do become robots. And I gotta say, a lot of you, you've already, you've already transitioned. I see you walking down the street staring at your fucking phones. You've already made it, man. You're already a fucking robot slave. Some of you aren't there yet. Some of you still have choices to make. Some of you can say to yourselves, I have moral compass, I have principles, I do know the difference between right and wrong, and I don't need to be told not to rape or kill or steal if the lights go out. Huh, think about that, folks. Oh, Dan, when would the electricity ever go out? I don't know, do you live in California? It's even planned now. Which means they give you a schedule of the blackout, so all the rapists and thieves know when to be ready. Yeah, and the murderers and everything else. If you are depending upon government so that people don't kill each other, you really need to examine your concepts, the way you see the world. You really do. Not just because of the fact that there is no way to solve that problem with government, but here's another little factoid. Government's made up of people, and I would argue some of the worst fucking people that ever lived are the people that want to go to government. So yeah, mostly dirtbags. Mostly dirtbags, 
a lot of lazy people who will go in whatever direction they're ordered to for a paycheck, um, probably not with a lot of effort, but that's, that's what makes them so fucking lazy. That's government, folks. It, it's not a bunch of fucking heroes. It's not a bunch of people that give a shit about your life. In fact, just the opposite. These are people that fuck with your lives. They come up with regulations and rules that make your life insane. No one could possibly navigate the regulatory framework of the U.S. today without a lawyer. You need to fucking meditate on that shit. Okay? There is no reason why any healthy society should ever need a fucking lawyer for any normal everyday shit. I could see the existence of a lawyer in that kind of, you know, anarchist court sense. Hey, we have a conflict. We need to hire somebody wise to help us resolve the fucking conflict. That could be a role in a free society. It could be. Conflict resolution. But to do everyday shit like start a business or get married or have a baby, there is zero fucking reason in a rational world to have any fucking lawyers involved in any of that. And if your comeback is, well, Dan, who will protect families from bad hospitals? Who will protect families from companies that sell poison? Who will protect families from cars that explode or damage the environment? Who will protect families from cigarettes? And I say to all the above, you didn't protect shit. Nothing got protected. Our environment is decaying around us. We pour poison into our waters and we pretend, because we have the EPA, that we're not doing anything harmful. Again, we're abstracting this shit out, folks. And I gotta say, when it comes to rationalizations and abstracting out violence, you gotta have lawyers. Lawyers are part of your solution. They will so fucking confuse you with bullshit, you're liable to stab your own grandmother and feel good about it if you talk to the right lawyer. Anyways, I hope you guys are having a great Tuesday night. Um, I, I think that this podcast has been a little bit long in the tooth. Maybe this is a bother to some of you. Maybe some of you are out there tonight wondering, what is there for me if I wander the streets? out there, if you're wandering the streets of your own soul, if your mind is so fractured, so broken, that you find that the existential waste of the outer world is pouring into your inner world, if you find it difficult to find balance, if you think to yourself, my mind is really three minds, or seven, or what if it's so infinite that I have no mind, no mind, no matter, what if there is no matter? What if there is no energy? What if there simply is? And if you're out there on that street, wandering the streets, and you come across a panel, and the panel says, happy and sad, and under the happy neon sign, there's a happy button. Looks fucking happy, has a little cartoon playing on the button. A puppy having a tea party with a fucking peacock. 
And then the other word is sad and neon, and under it is just a fucking terrible rusty button, probably even with a little fucking broken glass glued onto it just to fucking make it more difficult for you to push. All I ask, philosophically, is if you come across this weird choice, happy or sad, please don't assume that what it says is meant to be true. Don't assume that the happy button means happy. Don't assume the sad button means sad. Don't assume that what some professional tells you is the definition of mental health is even remotely healthy. Don't assume the drugs that they prescribe are going to help your psyche. Don't assume that they're going to help you at all. In fact, more likely than not, they'll damage your liver and your mind. If you're out there in the darkness of your own soul, if you got cracks in your mind just like me, if you're a religious person who is in the darkness of his or her own faith like me, wondering like Nietzsche, is there a God? Is the God out there? Is there a Jesus Christ? Was he all made up? And what the fuck have I been doing? If you are out there tonight doing this shit, thinking this way, wondering, 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 where the fuck do I go? Remember, every Thursday night at midnight in a certain dark alley in Little Saigon, Dr. Grunkus is always available. He's got all kinds of oils and ointments. He's got all kinds of special drugs and, and special powders. And he will help you become one again with the infinite spirit of eternal bullshit.